After discussing this early on in the season, in this two-week look at the West Division, you could actually see in the results what I've been factually saying for a month now. Colorado and Minnesota are the teams to watch battle with Vegas for top spot. As well, it's St. Louis and Arizona with LA that are actually competing to snag the fourth and final playoff spot. Having reset the podcast into two weekly editions, the catch-up edition becomes complete, getting through two weeks of the West Division in this podcast. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, a West Division wrap of the last two weeks of games from Monday and ending Sunday with analysis and a look ahead to the week ahead for four of the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. The focus of the podcast is on Arizona, Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis, teams playing in the West Division. We, of course, talk about the other teams as the interdivisional schedule means they are just playing against Vegas, LA, Anaheim, and San Jose, those usual Pacific teams are not the focus, just to have you keep that in mind. Heading into Saturday's game, the West Division standings had a rare moment not seen all season. The team's point totals and point percentages actually ranked them 1 through 8 in the same order, whether you did it by points or by point percentage. Vegas was first, Colorado second, Minnesota third, St. Louis fourth, LA fifth, Arizona sixth, and so on. It again confirms what I've been saying when the point percentage lowered St. Louis and also was propping up Arizona slightly over LA. And if your local team market was just going by points, not the point percentage, they could suggest your home team was in fact doing better in the standings than they actually were. St. Louis, to me, being the most guilty of doing this to their fan base. In this stretch, they were talking of the pair of games versus Vegas as a battle for top spot when in fact St. Louis by point percentage was a fourth place team playing the West Division top break team. Now, games in hand don't mean anything if you don't win them, and that I will agree with anyone on. But it's easier now to point out Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota have more points than St. Louis already, having all played two less games. Even if the three teams lose those two games in hand, St. Louis would stay in fourth. Recorded Sunday, March 21st, and hopefully up prior to Monday night's games, although I'm confident to say it's up Tuesday at the latest every week now, there is a Sunday game of interest as Vegas is in LA, and that could affect the standings heading into the upcoming week, and that late afternoon game needs to be accounted for before recording. Now, including Sunday's game, Vegas, usually a Pacific team, remains atop the Honda West, the only West Division team currently with an over 700 point percentage at 741. 7-3 in their last 10, they did fall to LA in the Sunday game that also albeit unexpected did keep the points and the point percentage in the identical order for this week's podcast Vegas did notably see the return of goalie Robin Leonard to their roster from injury Vegas had games against Minnesota and St. Louis during the stretch we are recapping so you will hear a bit more about them during those game summaries I also am trying a different game summary style for the games more of an overview style I don't receive a lot of feedback but I'm hoping that this will make them shorter 
order while explaining the important points. I think most avid fans will have watched their team's games in all honesty. We start our coverage by going by who had the best record over the two-week stretch and begin this week with Colorado who went 6-1-0 and in taking a pair against Minnesota who did as good otherwise. We talk about Minnesota second this week. A look at where Colorado sits in the standings in the West Division. Colorado, a 690-point percentage, has them second. Since the last podcast, they went 6-1-0. Overall, 16-8-2, 29 games played, 40 points, 97 goals for, 75 goals against for a plus-32 goal differential. Here's Colorado's game summaries beginning two weeks ago where we left off. Monday, March 8th, a 3-2 loss versus Arizona in the first, an Arizona power play goal by Derek Broussard and an even-strength goal by defenseman Jacob Chicken give Arizona a 2-0 lead after one. Both goals scored going off of Colorado defenseman stick past Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer. In the second, two second-period Colorado goals, Valerie Nishnushkin and Andre Burakoski on the power play beat Arizona goalie Darcy Kemper to have the game tied at 2-2. through 2.20 into the third, Arizona goalie Kemper has the ref stop play due to an injury, and he did not return. Kemper allowed two goals against and 17 saves. Arizona goalie Antti Ranta comes into the game in relief. At 4.06, Arizona gets the game-winning goal as Johan Larson net front tips and Oliver Ekman Larson shot off the cycle. Arizona goalie Ranta holds off Colorado the rest of the way, making 16 saves to pick up the win. Colorado goalie Grubauer, three goals against 11 saves in the loss. Colorado outshot Arizona in every period by at least five shots, 35-14 for the game. Arizona one for two, Colorado one for four on the power play. Wednesday, March 10th, a 2-1 overtime win for Colorado versus Arizona. First, the Colorado gets the lone goal on a 2-1-1. Andre Burakoski makes a back pass to the slot for the joining Brandon Sod. He beats the Arizona goalie, 90 round to five hole. 18-3 shots for Colorado in the first. Arizona tie the game with the only goal of the second. Arizona gains zone entry and off the cycle Tyler Pitlick throws it net front and it goes off of Colorado's Tyson Jost while he's defending Arizona's Nick Schmaltz and the puck goes in the net. In fact, it looked at first to be Schmaltz's goal. 1-1 through 2 with Colorado holding a 13-6 shot advantage. They would have a 13-5 shot advantage in a scoreless third. Arizona goalie Antiranta made key saves, including and against the grain pad stop and Colorado goalie Grubauer was equal to the task on two Arizona breakaways 38 seconds left in the five minute overtime Colorado cycle three on three and through Arizona defenders screen Colorado's Gabriel Landeskog picks the top glove corner for the overtime game winning goal 46-14 shots for Colorado Arizona 0 for 2 Colorado 0 for 5 with the power play Arizona goalie ran to two goals against 44 saves in the overtime loss Colorado goalie Grubauer one goal against and 13 saves for the overtime win. Monday's game, no top right-hand defenseman for Colorado, Kale McCarr, nor top center, Nathan McKinnon. Honestly, to me, that evened it out for Arizona to steal a game in regulation here, quite literally, on the backs of their capable goalie duel of Kemper and Ranta seeing they both played the game. Colorado falling behind early with some bad defensive stick luck and not enough finish on their more than double shot opportunities being the difference. Wednesday, only one Arizona goal off of a Colorado player instead of more. With a lot of rubber thrown at Arizona goalie Antiranta, Colorado gets the full two points. In a game, it looked as though Arizona might just find a way to steal again. Top center Nathan McKinnon returned for Colorado. Top right-hand defenseman Kale McCarr did not for this one. 
disappointing split from a Colorado perspective, but it wasn't from a lack of effort. The games may have galvanized the Colorado team as a group, as the OT win also marked the start of the team's current win streak. Two regulation home wins against LA for Colorado. Here's the summary. Friday, March the 12th, 2-0 win versus LA. First in a scoreless period, 17-7 Colorado shot advantage in the period. Colorado did everything but solve LA goalie Cal Peterson. Colorado kept the pressure on in the second with a 16-6 shot advantage. Miko Rantanen scores through a screen set up by defenseman Ryan Graves cross crease pass. Colorado defenseman Dan Renouf and LA's Matt Luff scrap. 1-0 Colorado through two. In the third, 5.27 to go. Gabriel Landeskog gets his glove on the puck and pushes it into the net, skating by the net front. After review, no goal. A 2-on-0. Empty net goal by Nathan McKinnon seals the 2-0 Colorado win. Shots 46-18 for Colorado. Colorado 0-2. for LA 0-3 on the power play. Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer picks up his fourth shutout this year, stopping all 18 shots. Sunday, March 14th, a 4-1 win versus LA. In the first, Nazem Kadri gets a Colorado goal on a 2-on-1. He does a curl and drag to the center slot, putting it roof glove against the grain on LA goalie Cal Peterson. 1-0 Colorado after one. In the second, Colorado gets two goals. Goals late in the period in a three-minute, four-second span from Andre Burakovsky and Jonas Donskoy. 3-0 Colorado through two. 6.07 into the third. LA finally gets a goal past Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer, a point shot wrister through a Colorado screen. Under five, Colorado goalie Grubauer would make a stop off of a rebound with the knob of his goal stick. Nathan McKinnon adds the empty net goal in the 4-1 Colorado win. Colorado 41-28 shots. Colorado 0-for-1. LA 0-for-5 with the power play. Colorado goal Goalie Grubauer, one goal against, 27 saves, picking up the win. You think we would want to talk first about Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer for allowing one goal against and a shutout over the two-game set. Yet it was LA goalie Cal Peterson who was peppered by 87 shots in his two losses. That could have turned out to be way more lopsided than the final score suggests, and it's only because of him. Even without cornerstone right-hand defenseman Kale McCarr, Colorado kept the opposition shots down while having target practice on the opposition goalie. When they are on, Colorado looks unstoppable. Colorado then had a rare one-off game versus Anaheim next. Tuesday, March 16th, an 8-4 win versus Anaheim. In the first 101 in, Andre Burakovsky finds and jams in a rebound off of a Nazem Kadri shot. Anaheim would put two past Colorado goalie Hunter Miska by the 433 mark. Colorado's Kadri ties it off the rush. Anaheim gets their third goal off a face-off win on their fifth shot on goal, and that goes past Colorado goalie Miska. Colorado's Gabriel Landeskog takes the feed from under Anaheim's Derek Grant shorthanded. Grant's awarded a penalty shot with 18 seconds left in the first. He scores and Anaheim has a 4-2 lead after one. Colorado goalie Miska doesn't start the second, allowing four goals against with three saves. Colorado starting goalie Philip Grubauer actually gets into the net instead of having the night off and he starts the second. Midway through, Colorado's Miko Rantanen banks it from behind the net off of Anaheim goalie Ryan Miller. Notable as it's the second time Rantanen has scored on Miller this way this season. Colorado gets another to tie it off the rush from Kadri. Tied at four through two. 101 in, just like in the first goal for Colorado in the first. Nathan McKinnon buries a short side slapper top shelf from the high circle at the same mark of the third. That would be the game-winning goal. 2-23, Colorado defenseman Sam Girard scores. Pierre-Edward Balmar adds an empty net goal before a late Colorado power play goal from Brandon Saad makes 
Phoenix in an 8-4 Colorado final. Colorado 36-22 shots. Colorado 2-for-3. Anaheim 0-for-2 on the power play. In two periods of work, Colorado goalie Grubauer picks up the win. No goals against 15 saves. Anaheim without goalie John Gibson can't really keep the goals against down. Colorado backup goalie Miska was demoted to the AHL after this one. And the preview to this podcast talks about Colorado trading to find a new backup. If not for that combination between the pipes, otherwise this would have just been a completely lopsided with less goals against for Colorado. By the way, I'm not missing one nothing Anaheim games at all. Also, Colorado's power play that had gone quiet went two for three, helping extend Colorado's win streak to this point to four games. Thursday, March 18th, a 5-1 win versus Minnesota. In the first, midway through, Nathan McKinnon creates space at the Minnesota blue line, holds the line and fires it off of Minnesota defenseman Matt Dumba's defensive stick and past Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot. With seven minutes left, shots were 20-1 in favor of Colorado. Miko Rantanen's net front deflection with 58 seconds left makes it 2-0 Colorado. Colorado after one. Colorado 25 to 6 shots. Teams trade power play goals in the second. Minnesota power play goal as Victor Rask enters Colorado zone and from the circle wrists at far side. Top shelf on Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer at 841. Colorado's Gabriel Landeskog second effort for a power play goal with 453 left. 3-1 Colorado through two. In the third, Jonas Donskoy puts it five hole on a breakaway with a minute 57 seconds into the third. A little after Colorado's Rantanen roofs it a backhand for another Colorado goal making it 5-1. Shots 55-20 Colorado. Colorado 1 for 2. Minnesota 1 for 4 with the power play. Minnesota goalie Talbot 5 goals against with 50 saves for the loss. Colorado goalie Grubauer 1 goal against 19 saves for the win. Minnesota defenseman Carson Soucy served a one game suspension for a hit versus Arizona that we'll talk about later in the podcast. Colorado right hand defenseman Kale McCarr returned to play for the Avs and played just under 20 minutes time on ice. Saturday March 20th a 6 nothing win versus Minnesota for Colorado. In the first, Colorado's Kale McCarr's wrister from the blue line blocker side through traffic on Minnesota goalie Capo Kakinen. Colorado's Gabriel Landisog looks to put his glove and punch in the puck into the net off a of Minnesota goalie Kakinen's shoulder. However, he never actually makes contact and his initial shot on net results in a Colorado goal 2-0 after 1. 46 seconds into the second, Miko Rantanen just inside the blue line goes off the glove on a wrister. A minute 7 seconds later, Colorado's Tyson Jost and late in the second, defenseman Devin Taves add Colorado goals 5-0 Colorado through 2. Colorado's Valerie Nishnushkin on a partial breakaway scores back over Minnesota goalie Kakinen's pad driving net front for the 6-0 Colorado win. Shots 42-31 Colorado. Colorado 1-2 for two, Minnesota 0-4 for four in the power play. Colorado Grubauer's fifth shutout of the year making 31 saves. Minnesota goalie Kakinen 6 goals against 36 saves for the loss. The set with Minnesota saw the return of Kale McCarr and considering bottom pair defenseman Greg Patterson was the only right-hand defenseman available for Colorado till this series. Well, McCarr's return was a big boost to a team that healthy at forward could play their forwards in the line combos that seemingly are the way they work best. Colorado's top line produced six goals and 17 points for Colorado in the two games played versus Minnesota for McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog while getting additional production 
production down the lineup. They came at Minnesota in waves, put them on their heels, and it felt like they never let off the gas. When, as close to fully healthy, respect to right-hand defenseman Eric Johnson still being on IR and Connor Timmins, this team does have the balance to blow out a team that is well-balanced in Minnesota. I didn't expect it to be 11-1 to goal advantage for Colorado. Minnesota, to me, is better than this. However, Colorado was on at home and playing a rare set of games without tons of key injuries. This week's analysis for Colorado. Colorado is like the first three months of dating someone new. The excitement of when it's good makes you forget the signs of the challenges ahead that are right in front of your eyes. I don't like to think a player or two affect a team overly, although goaltending is a key area in hockey. This stretch, minus right-hand defenseman Kale McCarr, while without Eric Johnson as it was, plus bottom pair right-hand defenseman Connor Timmins to boot, did matter versus Arizona, especially when top center Nathan McKinnon was on the shelf. That's the Arizona win. McKinnon's return and Colorado gets the overtime win. You have to go back to the podcast before with the splits with San Jose and Anaheim and the one we do look at with Arizona as the last prior. Now, the splits seem good, right? Except when you are expecting to be competing for the Stanley Cup. So you can say Colorado got through missing both Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, but these are the team's two all-stars. They don't finish versus Minnesota in the style they did without those two playing. By the time we end this stretch, cornerstone right-hand defenseman Kale McCarr is back. He just stabilizes the blue line. In 17 games played, two goals, 14 assists for 16 points is almost a point-per-game production for him. Sam Gerrard's 22 points in 27 games and Devin Tave's 17 points in 26 games played are valuable D-men for Colorado. But make no mistake, Kale McCarr is the cornerstone of this defense. He's a superstar of a very talented group. He is noticeable when he is gone and actually Actually, it might be only less noticeable if right-hand defenseman Eric Johnson was healthy. But, especially when he isn't, well, McCarr matters as much as McKinnon to this team. McKinnon's only missed four games played. Colorado has gone 2-1-1 in the games he's missed. But look at the impact of the McKinnon, Landestog, and Rantanen trio had versus Minnesota. It isn't nearly dynamic without McKinnon, the team's MVP top center. Landeskog and Rantanen as a duo make Colorado more mortal, and the results showed. Those two played in the stretch against the bottom dweller San Jose, Anaheim, and Arizona without McKinnon and made those teams look more like Minnesota, who's a way better team, a third-place team, than any of those other teams. Yet, when Minnesota had to play the trio, all of a sudden Colorado is back on all cylinders again, and Minnesota looks like a bottom-dwelling team, not the third-place team they are. That top line also allows a second-line mismatch-up that Kadri sought and Burakovsky can exploit. That is dependent on the first line being all together, but McKinnon being there is what matters most. Not to discount Miko Rantanen's 35 points in 29 games played. Those are as good as McKinnon's 31 points in 25 games played is, but McKinnon up the middle is a bigger loss to have out. I also talked about GM Joe Sackick making a trade for a backup goalie. You can find that trade promo podcast, and it should appear just before this one, chronologically. Simply to me, this cup contender is really dependent on three key pillars. Goalie Philip Grubauer, 1.74 goals against average, .929 save percentage with his five shutouts. Right-hand defenseman Kale McCarr and top center Nathan McKinnon. 
Those three bring up this Colorado team to next level when they're healthy, and that's the Colorado team that can win the Stanley Cup. If two or three of them miss too much of the run in getting Colorado there or during a individual playoff series for Colorado, the team probably will fall short as good as everyone fits into this well-built roster. Colorado's team metrics, Colorado improved four spots in goals allowed, 2.24, tied for second overall, and with an 87.6% success rate on the penalty kill, that moved them up two spots to second rank. Ranked tied for fifth in goals scored, 3.34, up eight spots, while the power play with a 24% success rate is 12th, up a spot from the last West Division podcast. Useless factoid for Colorado. It's not useless that Colorado allows the fewest shots on goal against. What is useless is when the team shot on goal against the opposition overshadow their own goalie shutouts, such as it is for Philip Grubauer. His 18 save shutout versus LA, LA's goalie Cal Peterson made 44 saves on 46 shots. Grubauer's 31 save shutout versus Minnesota had Minnesota's Capo Kakinen make 36 saves on 42 shots. Grubauer's been stellar consistently and made big saves at key times it's too bad his shutouts have to take the back seat to the target practice going on at the other end of the rink combined with the team's overall good defensive play thumbs up through the d group injuries colorado called upon journeyman left-hand defenseman dan renouf 26 who had played one nhl game in 2016-17 for detroit but has spent most of his career in the american hockey league he now has played 10 games for colorado contributing three assists and just generally going out and playing as hard as he can the left-hand d side is quite stacked in colorado that he has made the most of his number being called is impressive can we see 2020 draft pick defenseman Justin Barron and 2019 defenseman pick Drew Hellison for like just under the nine games played allowed each not to burn a year of their entry-level contracts? Like I think we have seen every other defenseman in the Colorado organizational depth chart and depth-wise except those two highly touted prospects who both played great at the 2020 World Junior Championships. Thumbs down, Hunter Miska. I'm aware he was demoted to the Colorado Eagles, but he just wasn't providing relief for Grubauer, and he was playing in front of a team that leads the league in allowing the fewest shots on goal against. Not too many guys in the NHL get the opportunity to play in front of such a good defensively sound team, and he just couldn't find consistency. In additional Colorado news, right-hand defenseman Connor Timmins' upper body remains on the IR with both right-hand defenseman Eric Johnson upper body and backup goalie Pavel Frankos lower body who have been out most of the year. Up next, four games Monday, Tuesday at Arizona and Thursday, Saturday versus Vegas. Arizona is without starting goalie Darcy Kemper, but Antiranta is playing well. Expectations of a pair of blowouts after Minnesota seems logical, so actually don't expect it. Plus, with back-to-back games, chances are Grubauer plays only one and new backup Jonas Johansson or Adam Werner has to play the other. The Vegas game should be great as they battle for the West Division top spot. Vegas, it feels, has had that top spot on lock since the season started. We move on to look at Minnesota, who other than the losses discussed in the Colorado segment, went undefeated over this stretch. Here's where they are currently in the standings. Minnesota, 6.38 point percentage, has them third. Since the last podcast, they went 5-2-0. Overall, 18-10-1. 29 games played, 37 points, 87 goals for, 75 
five goals against a plus 12 goal differential. Monday, March 8th, a 2 0 win versus Vegas. Midway through the first, Minnesota's Kevin Fiello goes to the middle on a two on one keep with Zach Parisi, and Fiello wires it blocker side from the slot. 6.49, Minnesota goalie Capo Kakinen closes five hole on a backhand Vegas chance off the rush. 1 0 Minnesota after one. Minnesota outshoots Vegas 10 5. In a scoreless second, Vegas outshoots Minnesota 14 5, but can only hit a post on the power play. 1 0 Minnesota through two. Evenly played third with six seconds left. Minnesota defenseman Jonas Brodeen is awarded an empty net goal as he is hacked as he shoots on the open cage. Minnesota 2 0 win with goalie Kakinen making 26 saves for the shutout, his first in the NHL. Vegas 26 21 shot advantage. Minnesota 0 for 2. Vegas 0 for 3 on the power play. Wednesday, March 10th, a 4 3 win versus Vegas. 19 seconds into the first off the four check and Vegas turnover. Minnesota's Joel Erickson Eck opens the scoring. Vegas ties it a minute 23 seconds after off of a Minnesota defensive zone turnover. 1 1 after 1. Teams play a scoreless second. 118 into the third. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov gets a power play goal. 554. Minnesota's Erickson Eck gets his second goal by tapping in his rebound, laying loose under Flurry. 147 later, Minnesota's Nico Sturm sets up Carson Soucy for a one timer short size. That would be the game winning goal. That ends Vegas goalie Marc Andre Flurry's night. Four goals against 25 saves. Vegas backup goalie Logan Thompson comes in relief. Vegas Dylan Coglin makes it a close game by scoring two more to go with his first period tally. One goal with six to goal and his third six on five for a hat trick for the losing team. Minnesota 4-3 win. 31-27 Minnesota shots. One for two Minnesota. 0 for two Vegas on the power play. Minnesota goalie Kakinen. Three goals against 24 saves for the win. Minnesota showed up on time in the games against Vegas. They also had rookie goalie Capo Kakinen who, because he's played five games last year, I often never refer to as a rookie, have him outduel Vegas goalie Marc-Andre Fleury. Overall, just complete games, Minnesota, with their lone power play goal of the two games, also held the special teams advantage, and they didn't let Vegas score in the five power play opportunities they had. Honestly, I like how Minnesota matches up against Vegas, and that's a pretty rare thing to say. Two regulation wins, they took all the available points and gave Vegas none. That momentum carried forward as they took on Arizona at home. Friday, March 12th, a 4-0 win versus Arizona. In a scoreless first, Arizona's Phil Kessel has three great chances he doesn't score on Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot. At 2.41, he is stopped with a glove save in the slot. With four minutes left on a breakaway, Talbot makes a pad stop, and half a minute later, he is denied on his second breakaway in the same shift. In a scoreless second, after Minnesota's Ryan Hartman draws an Arizona trip by Kessel driving to the net, Kessel has yet another breakaway just out of the penalty box with 1.28 to go and is stopped trying to beat Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot Farside. Minnesota outshoots Arizona 14-7 in the second, still no score. Into the third, all kinds of offensive zone pressure by Minnesota. At 547, Kirill Kaprizov fires from the circle. It goes off of Arizona's Christian Dvorak's skate to open the scoring. Kaprizov goes around the net to the center slot on net and the puck deflects off an Arizona player net front and in high blocker for his second at 810. Arizona presses with less than 7 
seven left in the third. 58 seconds left. Minnesota defenseman Jonas Brodeen banks it off the glass and down the ice to get an empty net goal. 10 seconds later with Arizona goalie Aiden Hill back in the net. Minnesota wins an offensive zone faceoff where from the dot Kaprizov completes the hat trick with a slap shot far side top shelf. Minnesota outshoots Arizona 32-25 in the 4 nothing win. Both teams 0 for 4 on the power play. Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot made 25 saves for his first shutout of this season and first playing for the Wild. Arizona goalie Aiden Hill, 3 goals against 28 saves in a loss. Sunday, March 14th, a 4-1 win versus Arizona. 8-44 into the first. Arizona strike Kajula puts a shot off both posts and out. 13-27, Arizona opens the scoring as Minnesota has a defensive zone turnover by Matt Dumba, allowing Arizona's Phil Kessel to score 5-hole on Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot. 1-0 Arizona after 1. 6-35 of the second, Minnesota's Victor Rask has a tap-in off of Arizona goalie Antti Ranta's rebound off Matt Zuccarello's shot. 5-12 left, Arizona defenseman Jacob Chikrin breaks up a Minnesota 2-on-1 on a back check, but deflects the puck over the glass and gets a delay of game penalty. That absolutely shouldn't have been a penalty as he wasn't in control and shooting the puck, and that's when the penalty should only apply. That was a big referee fail. Arizona does kill off that penalty, 1-1 through 2. 6-0-3 of the third, Minnesota's Nick Medino gets to walk in alone and score short side high as three Arizona players overplay the puck carrier in the neutral zone coverage. Five minutes, seven seconds later, Minnesota gets a power play goal off the rush with a nice given goal, Matt Dumba to Kevin Fiala in the paint. Five seconds left, Minnesota Joel Erickson gets his feet taken from under him on a breakaway and he is awarded an empty net goal in the 4-1 Minnesota win. That's Minnesota's second awarded goal in this podcast, if you're counting. 32-22 shots for Minnesota. Minnesota 1-3, for Arizona 0-3 for on the power play. Minnesota goalie Talbot, one goal against, 21 saves for the win. Arizona goalie Ranta, three goals against, 31 saves for the loss. Tuesday, March 16th, the third game between the teams in a row. 3-0 win versus Arizona for Minnesota. At 137, Minnesota's Jordan Greenway is stopped by Arizona goalie Aiden Hill off the rush, but Ryan Hartman takes a puck that bounces off the backboards and scores into an open cage to open the scoring. At 10:48, Minnesota's Carson Soucy gets his elbow up while also leaving his feet with a hit on Arizona's Connor Garland. Arizona's Lawson Kraus jumps Soucy and forces him into a fight that Soucy does not participate in. Susie would get five charging and five for fighting. Kraus would get two minutes and ten minutes for an instigator, five for fighting, and another ten-minute misconduct. The league would give Susie a one-game suspension that he served in the next game Minnesota played. That was versus Colorado, which we covered earlier. one nothing Minnesota after one. Scoreless second where Arizona goalie Aiden Hill had to make several key stops as Minnesota outshot Arizona 13-3 in the frame. In the third, 207 in, Matt Zuccarello's wrister from the circle beats Arizona goalie Hill low glove side. Four and a half into the third, Arizona has a five-on-three power play they don't score on. Minnesota defenseman Jared Spurgeon gets his first goal of the year off of a face-off win point blast far side corner through traffic. Arizona defenseman Jacob Chikrin has the best chance for the Yotes as his long-range wrister goes off the post with 3.31 to go as Arizona outshoot Minnesota 17-4 in the final stanza, but Minnesota gets the two goals for the 3-0 win. Minnesota goalie Capo Kakinen makes 31 saves for his second shutout of the season, Minnesota's third in five games, Arizona goalie Hill, three goals against 23 saves in the loss, Arizona 31-26 shot advantage, Minnesota 0-3, Arizona 0 for 
for four on the power play. From the Minnesota perspective, three decisive home wins, led by their goaltending duel of Cam Talbot and Kakinen, who each post a shutout and allow combined one goal against through three games. Minnesota didn't force offense, so the scores were close, often going into the third. Arizona, who likes a comeback, was in tight games, but Minnesota outscored them 9 to nothing in the third periods over the three games. The goalies did earn their respective shutouts, and Minnesota cashed in on their goal-scoring opportunities and held off Arizona's attempt to push back in the games. Minnesota was on a five-game win streak and haven't lost in seven at home now, dating back to late January this season. The trip to Colorado was rather unexpected results-wise, taking into account how good Minnesota was playing prior to the two-game set. As we covered the set of summaries in the Colorado section, just a reminder, 5-1 loss on Thursday, 6-0 loss on Saturday to Colorado. Minnesota, from their perspective, didn't have an answer too much for Colorado in this set of games on the road, and Colorado was coming in on their own win streak and looking good as well. Colorado put on the gas with a close to full healthy roster and ran up 11 goals to Minnesota's one. That actually was a power play goal. Firstly, Minnesota's goaltending in either game, whether Cam Talbot or Kakinen, are not to blame for the losses. Talbot made 50 saves, Kakinen 36 saves. Minnesota didn't get offense, and that was simply by not being able to have puck possession against Colorado. One thing of note is Colorado scored two goals in each of the games early. Minnesota, unlike against Arizona, where they didn't give up two goals, let alone have to play from behind versus Arizona, did let Colorado get the lead and weren't able to have the type of third period success they had against Arizona. There's not much to analyze here. Minnesota just needs to forget these two games versus Colorado and move on. They were playing exceptionally well before them. The compete just seemed missing, and Colorado took full advantage, getting a lead and not letting Minnesota get back into the games before both of them got away. This week's analysis for Minnesota. One way to separate this Minnesota analysis would be to talk about the team playing at home versus playing on the road. Five straight in the stretch we are covering for seven in a row total wins at home and it was against competitive teams including a pair of games versus west division leading vegas however they went 0-2 on the road in the games this podcast covers if we include all of march games that we have already covered minnesota is 1-4-1 away from the excel energy center and that was against the same teams vegas and arizona with the two versus colorado So the striking difference of this team at home versus on the road isn't based on the opposition. Also, noted in the Arizona wins, it was the third when Minnesota created the separation in otherwise close games. They are usually in games on the road, looking at the road games over March. However, they certainly didn't have the type of third periods they are having at home either as far as goal scoring. Firstly, I said this a West podcast or two ago, or maybe in most of them, the goalie tandem of Cam Talbot and Kakinen, who, I remind you, was my preferred duo for this team. And with all due respect for the injured, now-departed Alex Stalock and Andrew Hammond aside, Talbot and Kakinen have given this team a much-needed upgrade in goal from a year ago. This is an area that GM Bill Gurren identified and full marks on him for the action to bring in Talbot. 
Secondly, when the opportunity for Kapokakinen emerged to show he could perform over a larger sample size than a year ago, he delivered. Honestly, I have been waiting to see Kakinen get this opportunity going back to his brief five-game stint from last year, where I felt he actually gave Minnesota the best chance to win when it was Devin Dubnik and Staluk before the COVID pause a year ago. That's why I often forget Kakinen is a rookie still. The goal scoring by committee continues for Minnesota. Spoiler on the team metrics coming up, but Minnesota is 12th in the NHL now in that category league-wide. But that's paired with being in the top 10, 8th, actually, in goals allowed. That's why even after two games where Colorado put up some goals, the team's goal differential is still a really good plus 12 on the season. I expected rookie Kirill Kaprizov to score for this team, and he has 10. I did not expect Joel Eriksson Ek to lead the team with 11 goals. I did expect Kevin Fiala to be up with Kaprizov, and he has nine goals, all heading into Monday night's action this week. However, any given week, we could also go through the lineup and pick out other players getting timely goals, helping this Minnesota team win. Matchup-wise, they look good against Vegas and not so good against Colorado. However, that's the home versus away coming into play. At 10-3, and and oh, at home, and a touch better than 500 on the road at 8-7-1 and one for the year, on home ice, Minnesota does excel. If they can win a few more road games, they could possibly finish in the top two teams in the West. That road record is what's going to help them do that. That would give them home ice, at least for the first round of the playoffs, and that would benefit them as their record indicates they're way better at home. As we've past the midpoint of the regular season, it's a good time to talk about what spot Minnesota is going to be in come playoff time. It's to say, Minnesota is going to be a playoff team. To me, it's where they end up in the top three seeding now. Minnesota's team metrics, 2.59 goals allowed, tied eighth, improved two spots league-wide since the last pod. The penalty kill is up a spot to fifth at a 84.7% kill rate. Three goals scored per game, 12th, the same league rank as we last looked at it. The power play improved to 8.5% from 6.9%, yet remains 31st from the last time we checked, as I'm sure every Minnesota fan is well aware of. As previously, I have said, not including the power play, the team's metrics are all situated where playoff-bound teams would want them to be. Minnesota's useless factoid in the five-game home win streak Minnesota won the special teams yet remain last in the league on the power play while in the league's top five on the penalty kill here's why versus Vegas in two games Minnesota went one for four while Vegas had no power play goals and five advantages Arizona went without a power play goal in the three set in 11 opportunities while Minnesota had a power play goal in 10 tries now I would say Minnesota's penalty kill contributed more so going 15 for 15 in the five games combined against Vegas and Arizona. However, the bump up for the power play numbers and actual power play goals won't improve much going two for 14. Minnesota did have the better power play results versus both Vegas and Arizona at home, but it wouldn't move the overall power play metrics much, if at all. To be fair, goaltending and even strength play are more responsible for Minnesota's success of late at home. 
Thumbs up Minnesota Kapokakinen rookie. In this stretch, he posted his first NHL shutout, and it took a 42-shot onslaught that Kakinen still made 36 saves, five more than the other goalie that won Grubauer to end Kakinen's personal nine-game win streak in that game versus Colorado. For the year, Kakinen, with his 2.29 goals against average and .921 save percentage, are stellar while he has gone 12-5-0 in the 17 games with two shutouts, both in the games this podcast covers. Rookie goalie Capo Kakinen. That's just a reminder to myself. Is this week's thumbs up. Thumbs down Carson Soucy. Of course, for his neutral zone, high elbow on Arizona's Connor Garland that cost him the ability to play an important game in Colorado because of his one-game suspension. I don't like that he left his feet. I mean, Connor Garland is 5'10", Susie 6'5". Unless the plan was, in fact, to jump over Garland completely so he wouldn't get a penalty, you don't need to elevate to make contact on Garland. I also don't like that it was in the neutral zone. It didn't seem Garland was positionally able to attack the Minnesota zone where standing him up and putting him on his ass would have been impactful. Further, and trust me, continue with the podcast and listen to the thumbs down for the Arizona section later on, but Arizona's Lawson Krause, who is in Susie's weight and heist class, challenges Susie to be accountable by wanting to fight him on that shift. Now, it worked out for Susie he didn't, but as far as his hit and the hockey code, well, Susie should have engaged Krause, and he didn't. So for the hit, not engaging Krause and putting himself out of the lineup with a suspension with a key game coming up, he's Minnesota's easy choice for the thumbs down this week. Additional news, forward Marcus Johansson is off injured reserve, so we could potentially see him return to the Minnesota lineup this week. Who they take out of the lineup would be the bigger question, but they do have some other key absences. Forward Marcus Foligno, undisclosed, right-hand defenseman Matt Dumba, lower body, and bottom six forward Kyle Rao, upper body, are listed as out to begin this week. You can say especially Felino and Dumba are impactful losses that hopefully can be available for this team later in the week. Up next Monday, Wednesday versus Anaheim, Thursday versus St. Louis. One, Minnesota plays this week at home where they have a seven-game win streak going and the bad taste of Colorado in their mouths. Anaheim was without starting goalie John Gibson, and they, based on watching them versus Arizona on the weekend, well, weren't getting good goaltending in Gibson's absence. Anaheim, as well, has trouble scoring, so that's a bad combo. Thursday marks the first game Minnesota plays against St. Louis. Maybe just listen to the section to how St. Louis is doing heading into this week, because after a quick timeout, we will come back to look at St. Louis and Arizona on Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, West Reset Edition. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have a $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. The Louisiana Swamplands. Out 
here you're either lunch or you're enjoying it. Make sure you end up on top with the all-powerful lineup of Kia SUVs, like the Telluride Sportage and Sorento, equipped with available all-wheel drive, higher ground clearance, and the interior capacity to bring everything you need. So you'll always remain more than a gator's length ahead. Visit your local Kia dealer today to find your next adventure in our ever-capable lineup of SUVs. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week as we continue our look at the West Division. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. Usually any discussion of 500 hockey is reserved in the podcast for Arizona this season. They are the poster child for it in the West Division. This week, St. Louis must have felt left out of the conversation as in six games played, they 500 it, going 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. Let's look at where they are in the West standings. St. Louis 597 point percentage fourth. Since the last podcast, they went 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. Overall, 16-10-5, and five. 31 games played, 37 points, 96 goals, 499 goals against for a minus three goal differential. Our recaps of St. Louis are bookended by games at San Jose. They started this stretch we're covering in San Jose with the second game as we covered the first one in the last podcast. And all St. Louis games were against normally Pacific Division teams that also ends in San Jose with a pair of games. Monday, March 8th, a 3-2 overtime loss at San Jose. To make sure I didn't call this a beauty league game at 235 of the first, St. Louis's Kyle Clifford and San Jose's Curtis Gabriel, who exactly is who, right? Um, they fight. Gabriel has dressed for 10 games played for San Jose this season. Seven minutes, 44 seconds average time on ice per game over the season. However, I will happily note the five minutes he spent in the box in this game was 50 seconds longer than the four minutes and 10 seconds time on ice he played in the actual game. 4:16 into the game, St. Louis defenseman Nico Mikola puts home a shot on net off a San Jose player for his first NHL goal to open the scoring. one nothing St. Louis after one. Seven minutes into the second San Jose goal off the rush from the top of the circle goes top shelf glove on St. Louis goalie Billy Huso. 54 seconds left St. Louis power play goal as David Perron fans on and flutters the puck onto the net where it is tipped by Braden Chen. 2-1 St. Louis. 7.58 of the third San Jose ties the game on a power play goal down low to the slot and jammed net front and a rebound off of a skate goes in no kicking motion with 517 left shen backdoor slides it off of the post from a point pass 2-2 heading into overtime 41 seconds in san jose gets the winner on a two-on-one between st louis goalie huso's pads and blocker for the 3-2 san jose overtime win 26 20 shots for st louis st louis one for four san jose one for two on the power play st louis goalie huso three goals against 17 saves in the loss st louis plays a good game for the most part but don't get the separation on the scoreboard with their backup goalie who hasn't exactly played well to be fair huso's three goals against is better than usual If you had told me beforehand that that was going to be his goals against for the game, I would have thought St. Louis would win. In the second, St. Louis outshot San Jose 16-5, yet the teams traded goals. In fact, the low shots against Huso to me, he should have not allowed three goals. In the third, though, 
San Jose pressed and outshot St. Louis 8-4. However, with the exception of Clifford's fight, St. Louis had been playing as a team penalty-free. Then St. Louis takes two in the third. One of them, San Jose gets the equalizer, and that's the opening San Jose needs to get a rush goal three-on-three in overtime. To me, this is St. Louis throwing away points. Friday, March the 12th, 5-4 overtime loss versus Vegas in the first 10-13 in St. Louis. Defense's own turnover. Vegas hits the post. 6-34 left St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington makes a big glove save on a Vegas 2-on-1. 5-12 left Vegas open scoring off the rush with a deflection goal. 41 seconds later, St. Louis with another defensive zone turnover leads to a backhand shelf Vegas goal. 2-0 Vegas after 1. 5-14 into the second, St. Louis's Ryan O'Reilly one-timer from the dot short side. 10-12 in, Vegas gets a goal from the slot blocker side. 13-36 in, Vladimir Tarasenko finds a loose puck in the paint for a tap-in, his first goal this year since returning from injury. 3-2 Vegas through two. 4-53 into the third. St. Louis's Zach Sanford taps in a rebound power play goal. 10-40, St. Louis's Braden Shen falling down in the slot, passes it down low net side, where David Perron lifts in a power play marker. 47 seconds after, Vegas goal, D-man, pinch, and a rebound swept into an open net. 50.8 seconds left, St. Louis goalie Binnington makes a pad save on a Vegas 2-on-1 to force overtime. Teams tied at 4 after 3. 58 seconds into overtime, St. Louis's Tory Krug takes a tripping penalty. 238 Vegas gets the power play overtime game winning goal. One timer short side on a cross seam pass gives Vegas a 5 4 OT win. Vegas 40 23 shots. St. Louis 2 for 3. Vegas 1 for 4 in the power play. St. Louis goalie Bennington 5 goals against 35 saves in the loss. Saturday, March 13th, a 5-1 loss versus Vegas, 4-1 of the first. Vegas goal off the cycle glove side on St. Louis goalie Villa Huso. 8-32, St. Louis rookie Dakota Joshua fights Vegas rookie Keegan Colasar in a good tilt that a 6-2 Michigan kid taking on a 6-2 Manitoba kid would produce. 121 left, Vegas hits the short side post and score off a faceoff. However, the period horn arrived before the goal went in, so it's one nothing Vegas after one. Scoreless second, St. Louis goalie Huso makes a fair catch baseball style way out of his crease and gets a delay of game penalty at 14-18. One twenty-three to go, Vegas goalie Marc-Andre Fleury trips St. Louis's David Perron, and Vegas defenseman Zach Whitecloud is called for the penalty instead. In the third at 132 after three saves, Vegas gets a goal, hammered in from the slot. 429, St. Louis's Sammy Blay parked net front, scores Dave Anderchuk style. 725, Vegas short side post and in, goal off the rush. 1030 in, St. Louis have a five on three power play advantage and they don't score on it. 1209 into the period, Vegas wraparound goal. 30 seconds left, Vegas gets an empty net goal. Four Vegas third period goals for a 5-1 Vegas final. St. Louis outshoots Vegas 35-26. St. Louis was 0-4, Vegas 0-2 on the power play. St. Louis goalie Huso, four goals against, 21 saves in the loss. Friday's 4-3 overtime loss game was an OT because of St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington, who had to make 
huge high danger stops throughout this game while defensively st louis had too many turnovers st louis took advantage of their power play chances yet the overtime penalty is the one that gives vegas the ot game winning goal bennington got this game to extra time his play equaled out the better play of the vegas team overall the second game Saturday back-to-back has Ville Husso in net, and although St. Louis generally plays better in front of Husso than they do for Binner, Vegas busts it open in the third to exploit the mismatch in net. Vegas plays Marc-Andre Fleury both games. To me, this just confirms how Bennington's play got St. Louis a single loser point over the two games against a good West Division leading Vegas team. Monday, March 15th at LA, that game is postponed because of a snowstorm that delayed LA being able to travel home after playing Sunday night in Colorado. Wednesday, March 17th, the two teams do get to meet 4-1, a loss for St. Louis at LA. 3:21 of the first LA power play goal, point shot through traffic. Prior LA's Jeff Carter makes contact with St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington in his crease. St. Louis analyst Darren Pang wanted a goalie interference challenge. I'm torn. I agree with Panger, although there is some time after the contact before the goal is scored. It does affect Bennington being able to make the save on the eventual goal. I also agree with the St. Louis team not challenging. I think they would have called it a good goal upon review. 58 seconds after, LA gets a goal as Bennington is outweighted and the puck is tucked far side. 14-11 in, L.A. gets a goal off the cycle, throwing net front off a skating in. 3-0 L.A. after one. 4.38 in to the second, St. Louis's Tory Krug and L.A.'s Andre Athanasiu wrestle and fight. About the 5-9 Krug gives up a height advantage to the 6-2 Athanasiu. With 3.31 to go, St. Louis's Mike Hoffman scores on a point shot that goes off in an L.A. sticking in. That cuts the lead to 3-1 L.A. through two. An uneventful third sees an L.A. empty net goal with 140 that trickles in from a backhand sent from the corner of the L.A. defensive zone all the way down the ice. That, if anything, was symbolic of the last period of play. L.A. 4-1 win. 24-20 shots L.A. St. Louis 0-for-1 L.A. 1-for-2 on the power play. St. Louis goalie Bennington 3 goals against 20 saves in loss. If not for Monday's postponement, that was out of the control of L.A. stuck in Colorado. And given how great St. Louis was playing over this stretch, sarcasm included, believe me, it was a good time to be playing St. Louis. The L.A. would have wanted to have completed their eight-game set during this stretch. How important was Wednesday's game? With the loss, St. Louis is now 2-4-1 versus L.A. head-to-head this year. Even if they do win the final game versus L.A., they have dropped the series with them. For those who think St. Louis holds their playoff fate in their own hands, still, with Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota ahead of them rightfully, and this L.A. team in Arizona, who holds series leads against St. Louis, each with only one game left to play, I would have thought St. Louis would be playing for their playoff lives. They should have. They didn't. All that's left is the remaining games of the West Division beauty schedule between St. Louis and San Jose to cover as the pair completed the eight games St. Louis and San Jose play this year, thankfully. Friday, March 19th, a 2-1 shootout win at San Jose for St. Louis. Scoreless first. San Jose at 11:59 has a too-many-player penalty in the first. You'll realize why I'm telling you that 
little later on in the second 135 in st louis's david perron has a chance roll through the crease and off the far post 13 minute mark san jose another too many player penalty 452 left san jose goal just as the penalty expires that creates a two-on-one that beats st louis goalie jordan bennington short side one nothing san jose through two in the third 558 in st louis shorthanded Jaden swartz can't score in close the same penalty kill at 622 st louis gets a shorthanded goal tyler bozak directs it into the net off his knee with kicking motion for a good goal but it's off his knee not off the skate as kyle clifford spins it net front San Jose's Curtis Gabriel was given a 10-minute misconduct after the goal. His time on ice for this game was 7 minutes 42 seconds. Again, proving you can spend more time in the penalty box than actually playing in time on ice in a NHL game. In overtime, 226 in St. Louis gets a too-many-player penalty, but there is no goal scored. We're off to the skills competition, the shootout. San Jose's second shooter, Logan Couture, scores. St. Louis's second and third shooter score, Braden Shen and Vladi Tarasenko for the 2-1 St. Louis shootout win. Shots 34-31 St. Louis. Both teams 0-2 on the power play. St. Louis has, of course, a shorthanded goal. St. Louis goalie Bennington, one goal against 30 saves for the shootout win. Oscar Sunquest left the game in the first with help getting off the ice and did not return. Saturday, March 20th, a 5-2 a win at San Jose. 2-23 into the first San Jose goal. High blocker slot shot beats St. Louis goalie Villa Huso, who had lost his goal stick earlier in the play. 3:32 in St. Louis defenseman Vince Dunn's point shot goes off a of San Jose defense and in past San Jose goalie Devin Dubnik. 6:45 in Jordan Cairo in the slot goes far side high for the St. Louis goal. 12:32 in St. Louis gets a goal off the wall that goes five hole. San Jose challenged that for offside. St. Louis's Mike Hoffman is deemed to be offside, so it's no goal. 2-1 St. Louis after one. 7-0-2 into the second San Jose net front hit the post and somehow can't score. 8-10 San Jose breakaway goes forehand roof and beats St. Louis goalie Huso. 12-0-6 in St. Louis's David Perron trips Ryan O'Reilly. San Jose Kevin LeBlanc gets the tripping penalty on that play. 2-2 tie through two. 4-10, an offensive zone faceoff for San Jose. Patrick Marlowe is assessed a penalty for a faceoff violation that affects the outcome of the game and to me was an absolutely terrible call. 12 seconds into that power play, St. Louis's Ryan O'Reilly goes short side shelf. 15:51. St. Louis's Cairo gets his second goal on a backdoor feed. 159 remaining. St. Louis at an empty net goal by David Perron for a 5-2 win. Shots 31-21. San Jose. St. Louis one for three. San Jose 0 for one with the power play. St. Louis goalie Huso two goals against 29 saves for the win. Versus San Jose. St. Louis picks up its only two wins of the stretch with a goal off the knee and a skills comp win, followed by a referee-assisted win the next day on the back-to-back games. St. Louis got the points. If San Jose doesn't find ways to lose themselves, well, the face-off violation call on Marlowe is a new one on that replay. Watching it, honestly, I would be as San Jose as a team was, their coach was, upset with that call. The three too-many-player penalties in Friday's game included one in overtime. Like, this is a midpoint games of the regular season, not an exhibition set of games. That's just terrible for the teams to be having that type of attention to detail. In fairness, 
the team with the shot of making the playoffs picked up the four points. We don't usually update San Jose or Anaheim as it relates to the standings in the West Division, as clearly already it won't factor into the playoff race. Points aside, I can say this set of wins didn't instill any confidence in St. Louis going forward. As we go to St. Louis's analysis, pet peeve number one, telling the St. Louis fan base they were set to play Vegas and it was a first place showdown when St. Louis by point percentage wasn't the other top team with Vegas going into that series. Those points and point percentage aligning this week show St. Louis accurately fourth, but point percentage had them trending to that spot weeks ago. Now, having played two more games in Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota, they are behind in points and point percentage, except the win over San Jose gave them the same point total as Minnesota. LA and Arizona are behind them, but they are a bit closer, and anything less than a 500 week would put St. Louis closer to those teams than to the top three now. I want to say I still expect St. Louis to make the playoffs. Their injuries, but more importantly, their play instills zero confidence in that now. The team's goal differential now minus three, whereas fifth place LA has a plus four goal differential. Playoff teams don't have minus goal differentials. Also, LA may score less goals than St. Louis, but they are allowing a lot less goals against two. Only San Jose and Anaheim have allowed more goals against in the West Division than St. Louis. And it's not surprising they sit 7th and 8th with losing records. That's why beating San Jose for St. Louis is a non-starter. St. Louis should beat them. They didn't do it in a very commanding style. Truthfully, we can talk about St. Louis's injuries, but St. Louis has had an easy schedule up to this point, and especially in April, it's going to now be full of teams they are behind in the standings with. As I have said, St. Louis, having played more games to this point, should have been ahead with points banked versus the Anaheim, San Jose, Arizonas, and LAs. Again, they are in the eighth game, already have lost a series set to LA. That's the team best poised to knock them out of the playoffs this year. Billy Huso has a 6-3-1 record, and to me, that's absolutely kind of amazing. He sports a 3.40 goals against average and a .885 save percentage. I would be trading for a backup goalie three weeks ago if I had designs on St. Louis being a playoff contender. Jordan Bennington is 10-7-4 with better personal stats because he is an elite goalie that far too often is just being hung out to dry defensively by the St. Louis team. Now, part of that is missing the team's best right-hand defenseman, Colton Pareko, who only played 16 games this year and played hurt, I'm pretty sure, most of the 16 games he did play. I can't criticize Kruk or Falk as their plus-minus stats, which suggest they aren't defensively costing the team. Although, how propped up are those plus-minus stats by the amount of offense they contribute? Solely based on plus-minus, Robert Bertuzzo, Vince Dunn, and Nico Mikola haven't done well. With a healthy Marco Scandella, and if Pareko were available, then only two of the three I just listed would have to play, not all three of them. And the drop-off with Carl Gunnarsson out as well is noticeable. 
when three of your 6D are playing good, well, this isn't your defensively sound group that included Alex Petriangelo, Jay Bomeister, and a healthy Colton Perenko of two years ago. It just isn't the same defensive makeup at all. And it's not better than 2018-19. Not even close. It's not in net. It's not on defense based on who can currently play. Getting a healthy Pareko back would actually be huge. Tyler Bozak came back and is out again. You can add Oscar Sundquist, Ivan Barbashev, and Robert Thomas. We should talk more about the heart and experience of not having Alex Steen because of retirement to injury would have met to this team. That's five St. Louis regulars now unavailable. And the latest Sundquist is the only one who's played the most games this season. The other guys have been out for a while. That's another big loss to the forward group. Jaden Schwartz being back helps, and as he and Shen are dynamite together. Tarasenko, of course, being back as well is a boost, but honestly, the bottom six has such a drop-off on production and skill. It's like the gap of who we talk about in the podcast in detail next, Arizona. It's the reason I didn't have Arizona making the playoffs. This team, St. Louis, has great players, but putting Sammy Blay up the lineup to score Dave Andertruck net front goals to try and balance out how weak the bottom six is. Well, the injuries are substantial because the burden on the top six to generate to win games is a real thing. St. Louis's team metrics goal scored 3.03. That's down two spots to be at tied for 12th overall in the league from two weeks ago. St. Louis moves down a league ranking spot to 21st and goals allowed at 3.13. This continues to trend in the wrong direction. The specialty team's biggest improvement, the power play, improved four ranking spots to be at 18th at a 19.6% success rate. Tarasenko's ability to stay healthy in the lineup will assist this metric continuing to trend upward. The penalty kill down a spot at 25th at 74.5 kill percentage. As I said, for the two prior podcasts now of the St. Louis team metrics. Only the goal scored is sitting in playoff team bound form. St. Louis's useless factoid. St. Louis in their 5-1 loss to Vegas was the team's first regular season regulation loss to Vegas ever. Vegas is in season four of their franchise and St. Louis was a top tier team two seasons removed from winning the Stanley Cup right now this year's version isn't the team that didn't lose to vegas in regulation they are in fact the team that has a few more in this series versus vegas this year and maybe we won't be hearing about the all-time head-to-head between vegas and st louis because it won't be so flattering to st louis anymore thumbs up to jordan bennington to me he has been this team's mvp this season His play got some games into overtime that led to St. Louis picking up points in games they otherwise should have lost in regulation. Thumbs down, the first period of anyone not named Jordan Bennington in the 4-1 loss to LA. That game was important to the standings, the head-to-head series. St. Louis had three shots on goal and spotted LA three first period goals on a team that plays better defensively than them. They also, because the game prior was canceled, were St. Louis well-rested. They should have showed up to play on time. They didn't. In additional news, March 11, St. Louis signed Jordan Bennington to a six-year contract extension worth $36 million. 
Six million per will be an increase on his current four point four million per deal. He would have been a unrestricted free agent following the twenty twenty one season if not for the extension. The injury list is still a lengthy one, and I have probably already mentioned everyone on it. However, just to go over it. Forward, Tyler Bozak, upper body. Defenseman, Carl Gunnarsson, knee. Forward, Ivan Barbashev, ankle. Forward, Robert Thomas, thumb. Defenseman, Colton Perenko, back. Forward, Oscar, Sunquest, leg. And forward, Megan McEachern, upper body. Up next for St. Louis, four games. Monday at Vegas, Thursday at Minnesota, Friday, Sunday versus Anaheim. It's an odd schedule. Vegas and Minnesota on the road. I consider St. Louis now the underdogs. That they have to play Anaheim at home on back-to-backs after playing in Minnesota. Well, that isn't good except that at least right now it's a John Gibson-less Anaheim. I think St. Louis may be borrowing Arizona's 500 hockey place card for at least another week yet. As we move from St. Louis to Arizona, just want to Jonathan quickly acknowledge LA sits fifth in the West division with a 5.33 point percentage, 30 games played, 32 points. They're 13, 11, and 6 with a plus four goal differential heading into Monday's game. We finish off our focus teams this week with Arizona. Arizona 500 point percentage. They are sixth since the last podcast, 2, 3, and 2. Overall, that puts them at 13, 13, and 5. 31 games played, 31 points, 77 goals for, 92 goals against for a minus 15 goal differential. Monday, the 3-2 win at Colorado, and Wednesday, the 2-1 overtime loss at Colorado. Those game summaries are in the Colorado segment. For the Arizona perspective, though, Monday's win was on the backs of both Arizona goalie Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta. Ranta came in and made 16 saves in less than a period of work in a two-all game. Colorado outshot Arizona 35-14, and the two first-period goals went off of Colorado defenders' sticks when Kemper was in the game. Yet, Arizona found a way to win in regulation. Wednesday, they almost turned the same trick. However, only one Arizona goal was scored off of a Colorado player, not two, and the shot disadvantage was greater, 46-14 for Colorado. Still, the stellar play of goalie anti-Ranta gets Arizona into overtime and picking up a loser point. It may have been ugly, but the brilliant goaltending, Arizona took three of four points in Colorado. Colorado by comparison, only picked up two points. Moving on to the set of three with Minnesota, the 4 nothing loss, the 4-1 loss, and the 3 nothing loss, those game summaries in the Minnesota segment. For the analysis, one even-strength goal for Arizona in the three-game set. We could just say Arizona came up against a pair of hot Minnesota goalies. However, Arizona was in these games. If you look at the goal scored through 40 minutes over the three games, Minnesota had a 2-1 to goal advantage over the three games. Arizona was ahead in the 4-1 loss after 20 minutes even. They did, as I mentioned, in the Minnesota section, end up being outscored 9-0 in the thirds of this set of three at Minnesota. The 4-0 loss, Phil Kessel himself had four quality chances he didn't score on. He was Arizona's only player to score over this three-game set. Arizona simply has depended on a handful of guys to do all their scoring. Kessel, Christian Dvorak, Connor Garland, Nick Schmoltz, and Clayton Keller. When those guys don't score, Arizona doesn't win. 
as we bookend Arizona's game recaps, they did have an exception to that general rule. Here are the game summaries for the pair of wins in Anaheim. Thursday, March 18th, a 3-2 overtime win at Anaheim. 1-13 into the first, Arizona's Connor Garland opens the scoring through the pad glove of Anaheim goalie Ryan Miller off Arizona from the forecheck. They created a defensive zone turnover by Anaheim. 7-0-7 in, Arizona goal Clayton Cower roofs it from the slot as Arizona gets it deep down low and to the slot. 2-0 Arizona after one. Over halfway through the second at 12:01 Anaheim goal. Point shot off of Arizona defenseman Alex Goligoski and past Arizona goalie Aiden Hill and Anaheim rookie Jamie Drysdale's first NHL goal. Two minutes, 29 seconds later, Anaheim 3-on-2 get a goal as Anaheim rookie Trevor Zegras alone crosses the crease and puts a forehand shot in. Two all through two. Scoreless third, that Arizona's Tyler Pitlick takes a late penalty with 26 seconds left. That carries over into the OT. 47 seconds into overtime, Anaheim gets the power play overtime game-winning goal. Four on three net side from the circle that goes short side. 31-25 Anaheim shots, Arizona 0 for 4, Anaheim 1 for 3 on the power play. Arizona goalie Hill, three goals against 28 saves in the loss. Saturday, March the 20th, a 5-1 win at Anaheim. 2.53 into the first, Arizona's Derek Broussard redirects a point shot off of a face-off window open scoring. At 5.35, Arizona defenseman Jacob Chickren's point shot goes by Anaheim goalie Ryan Miller for a goal the Anaheim goalie needs to make a save on. 8.47 left Arizona goal. Antiranta uses his glove to keep out the rebound of an Anaheim shot he only gets a piece of from going into the net. Arizona gets a power play goal just after 4-4 shot pass in the slot from Bizarre, his second with 3.38 to go. Kessel collects his 500th career assist on that goal. 3-0 Arizona after one. Anaheim backup goalie Anthony Stollers starts the second in net in replacement of Anaheim goalie Miller. Three goals against 11 saves. Arizona gets a goal 36 seconds into the frame. Off the rush, Broussard wires it short side from the dot for his first career hat trick. There is a 8-minute, 50-second gap between shots on goal by Anaheim in the period. 4-0 Arizona through two. In the third, 12-17 in Arizona gets a goal. Clayton Cower from the slot after Arizona wins a board battle behind the net and gets it to him. Two minutes, 10 seconds later, Anaheim gets a goal. A second effort in the paint that ends Arizona goalie Ranta's shutout bid. Ranta finishes with one goal against 27 saves for the win. Shots even at 28 apiece. Arizona 1-2, for two, Anaheim 0-2 with the power play. Thursday's game, Arizona gets out to the worst lead in hockey, the 2-0 score. But with a lot of game left to play, they allow Anaheim to get back in it, tie it, and then give them a power play to be able to win it in overtime. It's a game like that one. Far too often, Arizona gets less points in that they should be winning instead. You can look back at games like the 3-2 overtime loss as to why Arizona isn't in the playoffs after this season ends. Saturday, they do score enough to prevent losing, and this is the exception to the goal-scoring rule game. As often quiet, Derek Broussard puts home a hat-trick. Instead of raving about secondary scoring coming through for Arizona because it's rare and a big issue as to why Arizona is stuck at 500 all season long, let's simply share this. Other than the three Broussard had in this game, he scored one goal Otherwise, this month of the 10 games played thus far, he's 
averaged third-line minutes and has seven goals, three of which came in this game. He is representative of the lack of scoring after that main group of five forwards on this team that actually do on a regular basis. He is a big reason Arizona wins this game, but it is the exception to the rule for Arizona this year. Arizona's analysis, the additional loss with Arizona going 2-3-2 and since our last West Division podcast put them back into the 500-point percentage, which they pretty much have maintained over this season. I don't think there should be any expectation that this pattern won't simply continue for this team. If they do have a good stretch, my guess is a losing stretch equal to it will occur to balance them out to be 500 again. The team's remaining schedule have both games they can win and games against teams they probably won't win against. For example, this week they have Colorado and San Jose. The trend of 500 hockey should again hold for Arizona. The point percentage also notably has LA above Arizona for the fourth and final playoff spot held currently by St. Louis, and that also isn't something I expect to change. The team's goalie depth in Arizona has kept them where they were with starting goalie Darcy Kemper, the key and only injury they have currently. Kemper had played great, however, it's only been a couple of times you could say he stole a game before he got injured. They were a 500 team with him healthy. Antti Ranta is capable of coming in, and third string Aiden Hill is capable of backup duty at the NHL level. The team didn't see a big drop-off in net with Kemper out, but until the goalies start scoring goals in addition to stopping them, it doesn't move the needle overall for this team, nor drop them from their current placement in the West Division. And it isn't a surprise to me. This is where I expected this team to be, accurately with LA as the team closest above them with the best chance of catching St. Louis and getting into the playoffs. Really, the goaltending hasn't been good enough to win outright. Defensively, the team is good as well. And that with everyone returning, were expected with this team. Even with the large amount of time cornerstone defenseman Oliver ekman Larson miss, they as a group defensively have pulled through it. The best thing defensively has been the emergence of Jacob Chikrin, who leads the defense group offensively, is playing top minutes, and being impactful in games. I don't know if we should be surprised. He was a top prospect. However, his development into a top pair guy has happened this season. That's especially good for what is an otherwise older age D group that Chikrin is the exception to. I, most of this year, have talked about the five forwards who do score for this team, and I don't really complain when they don't because, well, no one scores when they don't for this team anyways. That seems like picking on the players that do impact when Arizona does win. Likewise, Phil Kessel's plus-minus is really lower than the rest of the five guys who contribute offensively regularly, and I have kind of just pretended to not be aware of his defensive struggles on a team that overall is pretty good in that area. I am aware of it because he is a guy who contributes offense. He still was the only guy who scored in the three games in Minnesota for Arizona, What would taking him out for his defensive struggles do for the non-existent offense of this team? Be hard to say. It definitely probably wouldn't help. 
The team needs to score goals, even with the guys that are defensively struggling, as long as they do score, a.k.a. Kessel. Now, Lawson Krause is also a minus 10 plus minus like Kessel. You could make the case to take him out of the lineup. He has one goal this year. However, even that doesn't mean Arizona has guys not playing in the lineup. That would be more impactful, and Krause simply needs to find the net more. To me, his play isn't overall costing the team games either. In fairness, the team as a whole is a minus 15 goal differential. The only true surprise would be to find a player on the team roster with a high plus in the plus minus category. And there isn't one. Essentially, we would almost think that the work in who Arizona wants to be part of GM Bill Armstrong's team leadership group going forward should begin and who the team will move on from can be started before the deadline or at least in the next offseason. The limited transition meant Arizona was where they were when the GM took over. Yet at least he has with the players he kept given himself the evaluation time on those players. He may not, in fact, blow the whole team up in an overhaul, and that looked like that's what was going to happen on the outset. There is an aging D group with the cornerstone piece Ekman Larson and the younger, talented top pair defenseman in Jacob Chikrin, and a top D prospect in Victor Soderstrom, not playing currently up with Arizona. The age of the rest will need to be addressed as a group going forward. The other thing, the obvious, the team doesn't score. So it needs to find players who can, while hopefully keeping the ones that do. That's really hard to do through trade and free agency. Elite goal scorers are drafted. There isn't depth forward group-wise here. That takes a long time to develop, especially when the core value identity of the team's GM is different from his predecessors. To repeat, 500 hockey doesn't get you into the playoffs. Arizona can be a seller at the deadline, except for them feeling they still have a shot at the playoffs. They aren't officially eliminated. They aren't seriously in the mix right now either to make them. Arizona's team metrics, 27th in goal scored, 242 down a spot from two weeks ago. Tied for 16th in goals allowed, 2.9 down a rank spot. The power play is down six spots to 23rd from 17th from two weeks ago at 18.3%. While the penalty kill moved up a spot, 7th overall, league-wide, 83.8%. Realistically, the penalty kill is the only playoff-worthy team metric. Arizona's useless factoid. Arizona's 2-1 overtime a loss versus Colorado stat. Arizona had won 11 games while being outshot in them, most in the NHL. That's still the same league-wide leading total as we record this. The shots were even in the last game of this stretch we are covering in that Arizona most recent win over Anaheim. To me, this isn't something that you want to have the distinction of having. More shots means generating more offense and Arizona absolutely needs to do this. Thumbs up to forward Derek Broussard getting his first hat trick. One, we have discussed how few times Arizona gets additional scoring. But the bigger reason for the thumbs up was Broussard, an offseason signing for Arizona, was that he was second most in games played without a hat trick among active players. It was like 800 plus games. 
and second only to Detroit center Valtteri Filippola at 1,038 games played. Broussard in his 883rd regular season game played, most not playing for Arizona, got himself off of that hat-trick list for futility you don't want to be on. I was just surprised he was on it in the first place. He did have a playoff hattie in 2015 while playing with the New York Rangers. Thumbs down to Lawson Krause in the 3-0 loss at Minnesota. I'm all for guys sticking up for teammates such as Krause wanted to do after Minnesota defenseman Carson Soucy's elbow and charge on Arizona's skilled forward Connor Garland. However, and this may be contrary to what Arizona color entertainer Tyson Nash would tell the kids watching to do, but I'm not sure as I watched the home team coverage of Minnesota what he did say, but Krause is right only in that Susie should have been accountable for the hit. The key part, the most important, is making sure Susie would engage in being accountable, and he didn't. The result was making the five-minute major a wash early in a still-close game where a five-minute power play could have changed the course of the game for Arizona. Instead, Kraus racked up 27 minutes in penalties to Susie's 10 minutes for Susie's over-aggression that the league suspended him a game for. The in-game benefit for Arizona was nullified by Krause's over-aggression in response that hurt his team more than Susie's selfish hit did. For that, thumbs down. In additional news, as mentioned earlier, and of course we covered the game Arizona goalie Darcy Kemper left in. He has not played since. He is on IR, lower body, and the only Arizona player not listed is available right now. Up next, Monday, Tuesday versus Colorado, Friday, Saturday versus San Jose. Arizona plays 500 hockey. I feel like it's on repeat. No need for me to predict how they do it. Just be assured they will. Final podcast thoughts. The condensed schedule is why I broke up the podcast into four teams each. Going forward, each week should have a West Division pod and a Discover Central slash Winnipeg pod now going forward, plus any special editions, time permitting. Thanks for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, and the two-week Reset West Edition. The order of the teams in this West Edition mirrors the order I feel the West Division most likely will actually finish. Minnesota will have something to say about that, of course. Maybe St. Louis, too. And Colorado, of course, are trying to catch Vegas as well. So, it could be ordered different in future podcasts. I would be less surprised if it didn't. you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can 
with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now, get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com slash holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday.